Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Amen. If you went in your Bibles this morning, turn to Jude, chapter nothing, verse 4. Jude, verse 4, continue our series on making a difference, our theme for the year, as we, it won't be long, it'll be the new year. I'm looking forward to that, but uh, I think all of us are looking forward to the new year. Uh, but uh, thinking about, again, making a difference, making a difference, that's found in verse 22 of Jude. But look at uh, verse 1, Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that, you, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Verse 4, our text today. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity we have to meet together in your house, in this sanctuary. I pray this morning that you would uh, enable the listeners to be attentive and just, uh, and Lord, that we would walk away today knowing it's been good to be in the house, Lord, having learned uh, some greater things about you. And Lord, may you have me behind the cross as I preach. Help me, Lord. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude is a weather forecast for the last days. As we think about, uh, again, the weather, I, I am a weather nut. I, I watch the weather. You know, 1017, used to, Channel 5, David Finfrock, I watch the weather. Now I mostly watch it on my, my uh, Channel 5 app, and I, I watch the weather and keep up with it. My wife constantly asking me what the temperature's going to be tomorrow. I always tell her, I'm not the weatherman. But then she knows I probably watched it, and so usually I tell her what the weather's going to be like the next day. I just enjoy knowing what's going to happen, what, what, you know, how, how to prepare and plan and, and, uh, for my week. Well, Jude is the weather forecast for the end times. Jude's telling us, hey, here's some things that are going to happen, and uh, here's some things to be prepared for. Again, it's a final warning before the trumpet sounds. It's a vestibule to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the first three chapters dealing with the churches there, and then after that, the church is gone. Verse chapter 4, it's caught up, it's gone, it's, it's out of there. And I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus Christ returns, our blessed hope, and we are raptured, we are caught up out of here to meet the Lord in the air. Until then, Jude says, hey, be careful, beware. Here's your duty, verses 1 through 3, here's your duty. Here's what you should be doing, and that is contending for the faith. Listen, we need to contend for the faith as Christians. This salvation that we've been given, this common salvation, we need to contend and stand up and and not give up and and, uh, stand for the faith. And then verse 4 is the danger. Here's the dangers that are going to take place as we contend. And here's a warning about what will happen here in the last days. Be careful of these false teachers. As we've been preaching, we can make a difference. 
by being a servant. James said there in verse 1, a servant of Jesus Christ. And we certainly want to remember that Jesus Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. And we ought to be servants of others, serving others, being ministers to others. And then we can make a difference by contending for the faith. And that today we can contend or we can make a difference by, by uh, addressing and by being aware of the corrupt teachers and false believers. And they are, they are, they are here, they're there. We're warned of it, not only here but other places. I want to just take a minute and explain a little something also of what's going on in our society as a whole. And that what has happened in society as a whole has also impacted uh, churches around the world. And that is, it's called postmodernism. Post, don't turn me off. I'm going to have to define it and then we're going to, we're going to just look at it just a minute. So everybody stay with me. Postmodernism. Postmodernism is external absolute truth. That is a truth that is true for all people in all places at all times cannot be known through reason or science because truth is non-existent or unattainable. Postmodernism. Postmodernism is means you know truth is relative. It's two plus two equals five. It doesn't have to equal four anymore. It can equal whatever you would like for it to equal. And we certainly don't want to hurt your feelings if you believe it to be five or six instead of four. That's postmodernism. And we kind of chuckle. Most of you are. And I chuckled at it until you start listening to the television and you start listening to these politicians in Oregon and other places who are saying things like, well, you know, they went into the store and they took that stuff because they needed that stuff. And because they needed the stuff, it's not wrong. And I'm telling you, multiple politicians saying that. In the city of Dallas, in the city of Dallas, here a year or so ago, they said, okay, we're no longer going to arrest those who, who take stuff from stores, anything below $500. We're no longer going to punish them uh, because they need the stuff. And therefore, it's not wrong. You say they were really, yeah, go, go back and read it. And of course, there was a lot of, a lot of other politicians who said, no, you're not. You're gonna, your police are going to do their job and arrest people who take stuff. And I feel for those who may not be able to afford um, food on the table or whatever, and churches ought to step up and take care of those needs, and, and there's many other places to take care of those needs. But listen, it's still wrong to take somebody else's stuff. That's stealing. Thou shalt not steal. But postmodernism says, no, that there's not, there's not an absolute truth and that there's not an, an absolute right and wrong. It's however you feel or whatever you think. They believe that until somebody takes their TV. And then they're upset. Postmodernism or antinomianism, it's, it's just, again, anything goes, you know. It's just whatever you believe is what you believe. And postmodernism. And I'm telling you, folks, tonight, this morning, understand that if it's not the majority of America who believe that, it's certainly very, very close. It is close. And it ought, we ought to be aware of that. We ought to be aware of that, that, that most people you're knocking into, most people you're talking to, and believe this. They believe there's no absolutes. There's no absolute right and wrong. There's no norms. This has led to a society in which every man does that which is right in his own eyes. We live in that society today. The book of Judges talks about there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And we live in that society today. The problem with this also is that it has crept into churches. This has crept into churches. And 
and there's, there's individuals who'll say, well, preacher, you know, you preach this or you preach that, and that's your interpretation, but, you know, I interpret that differently. And, and certainly there's some side issues that you could say, whatever, but the Bible says it's of no proper interpretation. Salvation by grace through faith is exactly what the Bible teaches. There's no room for your opinion or, or your, your interpretation. No, salvation is by grace through faith. There is a right and there is a wrong. It has crept into churches. And again, many pastors across the country no longer preach the do's and the don'ts of the Bible. They no longer preach right and wrong. In fact, one very popular one down south in Houston has said he, he does not use the word sin when he speaks. And he's made that very public. You can go on YouTube and watch the video and the interviews of Joel Osteen. He says, he makes it very clear, he will not use the word sin when he's preaching. That's what the world's come to. That's, that, again, it's infiltrated churches as well. This, there's no absolute right and wrong, and, and it's whatever you think or whatever you may think. Look back with me a couple of chapters. Look back in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, just a few, few books back. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's read a few verses. I want you to look at this that way because we're so close anyway if you were already in Jude. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Look at this now. Here's Timothy, who's being, being, uh, you know, being told, being written to by Paul. Paul's writing young Timothy, this young preacher. And he says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He tells young Timothy, Paul tells young Timothy, hey, Preach the word. That word preach means to trumpet it, to herald it, to, to, to sound it out. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He said you need to preach the word of God. Preach the truths of the word of God. And exhort people and, and be long suffering, but yet reprove and rebuke. Reprove and rebuke are a part of preaching. It's a part of teaching the Word of God. You're going to stand up and preach what's right and what's wrong and the do's of the Bible and the don'ts of the Bible. It's important. In fact, Paul said it's preaching. If you don't reprove and rebuke, you, it's not preaching. Amen. We live in a postmodern, again, society that has infiltrated the churches in which churches across the country have gone from preaching truth and preaching what's right and what's wrong and to allocating and abdicating to what the congregation would want. It's called the seeker-sensitive movement. It is the majority of churches today follow this seeker-sensitive movement, which basically says what the congregation would want, that's what we're going to give them. If they want if they want to, you know, rock music, if they want uh, a different Bible, if they want a different standard of dress, if they want whatever they want, we're going to give them. If they don't want to be preached to about sin and judgment to come, and if they only want the positives of the Bible and not the negatives, then that's what we're going to do. And I'm telling you, Heritage, that, that, is, a, that is the majority of churches in America today. And, and, and listen, I've appreciate Brother Wiggins and myself being able to stand up and preach the Word of God in this church without, without feeling like somebody's going to come down on us or without feeling like I'm going to lose my job. Or there, are, there are pastors across this nation who might even stand up and preach the right, right and wrongs of the Bible but, but won't because they know that they won't have a job the next day. 
because the congregation will rise up against them. By the way, Paul said, why do you persecute me? I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> Galatians, he says that there in Galatians chapter 5. Why, 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 why am I the enemy? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Seeker sensitive. I don't want to be, our church is not geared that way, and I believe that emphatically. We are not a seeker sensitive church. We want to be a savior sensitive church. We don't, we're not here to please man. We're here to please God. We're not here to glorify man and their flesh. We're here to glorify God and his his immutability and his all-powerfulness and all those things. Uh, we're here to praise him and to worship him and to, to seek his glory and not man's glory. Is Christ pleased with our church is what we should be asking. Is, is Christ receiving glory from, from our church, from our congregation? But again, if there's no absolutes and no absolute right and wrong, you see how that's crept into the church. Churches across America, churches across the world. So Judah's saying here, beware of these things. Beware of these creepers who crept in unawares. Be careful of these creepers who sneak in and come in the side door. And they, you know, they don't just come in and start spouting off untruth. No, they come in the side door. They use terminology that we use. They use the word grace when it comes to the word grace. But they just redefine the term. They use the word salvation, but they have just redefined the term. They've, again, their doctrine, their teachings are kind of underlying the surface. They're, they're not just out in the open. Job says here, beware. Jude says, beware. There's false teachers. Again, because we're close, let's turn back to 2 Peter, just a couple of books back. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there are false, I'm going I'm to start reading, but I'm going to let you get there. False prophets. So we, we know the Bible makes it clear that there are going to be false prophets in the last days. There, we've studied that even last year when we talked about the word continue. And so here Peter makes it clear, but there were false prophets. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. For there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. The privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. I'll stop there. But he says there are going to be false prophets come in. And they're going to teach heresies. They're even to deny the Lord. But their destruction is swift. Their destruction is swift. Look with me in 1 John. Or just look there at this. The, yeah, 1 John chapter 2. Just again another page back. Look at uh, chapter 2 verse 18. Little children... It is the last time. He's talking about the last days. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. We know that the Antichrist is going to come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time, the last days. There are many Antichrists. And the next verse says they, that we know that they were not of us because they went out from us. Many Antichrists. There are false prophets. There are many Antichrists, those who are Antichrists. Those who against Christ, anti, against Christ. And then thirdly, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I know that's a little bit of a turn back. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. Paul says, for such are false apostles. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers... 
transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing in his ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose end, whose end shall be according to their works. In other words, destruction. There are false prophets. There are antichrists. There are false apostles who have transformed themselves into apostles of Christ, <laughs> ministers of righteousness, who are not wolves in sheep's clothing. And their end is destruction. And that goes along with the next thought that Jude conveys here is that these have crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. In other words, to this punishment. Guilty. These false prophets, these false apostles, these antichrists are guilty. They're condemned. They've, they're awaiting sentence. Their, their punishment is sure. Their punishment is swift. The Old Testament prophets and New Testament writers all talked about these creepers who would come into the churches. Let us beware of them. Again, their judgment is swift. You say Old Testament prophets prophesied concerning New, New Testament uh, in, impersonators? Yeah, Judas was prophesied of. And, and we think about him, and you can look these up. Psalm 41, verse 9, he's talked about being the friend of the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 through 13, it talks about Judas selling uh, Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So, of course, there was Old Testament prophets who prophesied concerning those in the last days who would, uh, who would be false prophets, antichrist, false apostles. Beware of them. Ungodly men, it says. Those without God, refusing to submit to God. Those who would go against truth. Again, I use the two examples he's going to use here. He uses the, word, he uses the example of grace and uses the example of the Lord Jesus when it comes to false beliefs or false prophets, these who would teach and creep in and teach false doctrine in the, in the doctrine of grace and in the, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see both of these very heavily misused today and, and taught in a, in a very much uh, non-biblical fashion. These were creepers. Number two, they were twisters. Twisters, and not twister like the game, but twisters, like to turn, to, to twist, to pervert something. They turned, look there with me, they turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Twisting the truth of salvation by grace into being a license to sin. Let me say that again. Twisting the truth of salvation by grace into being a license to sin. I'm going to read one verse from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Yes, we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Man, what a, what a great and wonderful truth. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is not found in what I do. It's found in what Jesus did for me and the cross of Calvary. His perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and that is my means of salvation from God's wrath. I'm saved eternally. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, No man can pluck you out of my hand, and no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand, that we are kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful the Bible teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. We as Baptists got a reputation for believing that because the Bible teaches it. Very clearly teaches it. I am in Christ. 
If you believe you can lose your salvation, then you are working, my friend, to have it. And therefore, you are lost and undone and on your way to hell. That's what the Bible says. Galatians makes that very clear. You have gone back. You have gone back. You have fallen from grace. I'm thankful today I'm saved. I got age, saved at the age of six, and I'm still saved today. But that doesn't give me a license to do whatever I want. It doesn't give me liberty to, to, for an occasion to the flesh, to give into my flesh, and, and to have grace abound in my life. No. God's grace was given to me at a great price. The price was His Son on Calvary. God's unmerited favor was given to me. His grace was given to me, even unto enablement, to enable me to live a godly life. This word lasciviousness means excess or a lack of restraint. When we think of lasciviousness, usually it's connected with sexual sins. We think about Sodom and Gomorrah where they, where they were lascivious, they were unrestrained. They allowed their flesh to do whatever they wanted to, whatever it wanted to. Unrestrained, lasciviousness. The radical grace movement of today. Now I'm talking about those who, who have espoused true beliefs in the Word of God they have taken the grace of God, the doctrine, the teaching of grace, and have twisted it. And they've twisted it to say that because you are saved and you can't lose your salvation, then you can live however you want to. That just live like you want to. No, sir. No, ma'am. No, when I got saved, I received a new nature. See, when I got saved, I received a different want to. I, I want to live for Jesus. I want to do for Him. I don't always do it, but I want to. And my liberty, my, the grace of God that's been given to me is not, a, again, a license for me to live and to do whatever, however I want. I uh, have several books in my library about this grace movement, the radical grace movement. One of them is actually from Jeffers in Dallas, First Baptist Church of Dallas. It's called, um, um, I forget what it's called, but it's, good, it's a good book. And one of the, he does a comparison, so I want to do this with you guys. And the comparison I've used over the years, and I went back and looked at my sermons on Galatians, the, the illustration I've used is ditches. So there's a, there, there, are, there are two ditches in this grace movement. One is a, a ditch on the left, and one is a ditch on the right. Okay, when I was growing up, I, was, uh, we, I grew up in the era that you were allowed to drive as a little kid, you know. So your dad would put you on his lap, and, and he would, you would drive, but he has his finger down. Anyway. My papa, I can remember my papa riding, you know, driving with my papa in his lap. But today you've got to have a seatbelt on. can't ride in the back of a truck anymore. It's all death traps, and we all died. And, you know, yeah, thanks for letting the government slip in there because that just gave them license to do whatever they wanted to. Um, anyway, I had to put that in there just a little. I said, preacher, do you believe in license law, uh, seatbelt laws? Well, I had to obey them, but I don't believe them. Anyway, uh, do I need to move on to the sides? I'll move on. I'll move on. Don't, don't complain about the loss of your liberty when we didn't stand up for them back in the 80s. Okay, I'll move on now. But there are two ditches. So my dad at one point said, okay, hey, uh, you, can, you can drive the truck by yourself. Just stay between the ditches. And he'd take me out on a dirt road, and he'd say, he used the word bar ditches. Stay between the bar ditches, just as long as you stay between the ditches. And he's looking at me. <laughs> stay between the ditches and I'm telling you there is a, a ditch on the left there's a ditch on the right and when it comes to grace there's a ditch on the left the libertarians the liberals use and there's a ditch on the right which the radical you know the, they would call it legalists 
though that's a, that's a wrong term, but that, that's the word. And I'm telling you, Christianity and grace is somewhere between those. True grace is between those. It's between the far left and the far right. The left says, live however you want to. You're saved. Live however you want to. And then those on the right say, well, if, you're gonna, if, you're gonna, if God's going to love you, you've got to do this, 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 and this, you know. If, if you want the favor of God, you've got to do this, 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 and this. And they have their lists. That's religion, by the way. Religion is not... It's, <laughs> Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of rules. It's, it's, it's Christ. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there are those on the right who would believe in performance-based Christianity. That if you read your Bible and pray every day and you do this and this and this and this and you check off all the boxes, then you're good. You're spiritual. Can I tell you, you could check off all the boxes and be a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Now, checking off the boxes can put you in a position to be in the right position. <laughs> to, to, for God to make you spiritual. Some of y'all understand that. Right? But be careful about the right and be careful about the left. Somewhere in the middle is where you should be. The grace of God should not be offended. The grace of God should not be taken for granted and just live however you want to. What shall we say then, Paul said? Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? God forbid. How, we're, how, how are we that are dead to sin should live any longer therein? No, no you shouldn't live however you want to as a, as a Christian. That grace may abound towards you? No. You're not to be the instrument of unrighteousness, Romans says. You're not to yield yourselves as an instrument of unrighteousness. Good grace versus bad grace. Good grace has, says boundaries exist for our benefit, not for our detriment. In other words, God gave us some do's and don'ts. He gave us some boundaries, not for our, not for our detriment, but for our good. For our good. He cares about us. And there, again, this would take so much time. Bad is to remove all boundaries and standards of behavior. Good is saying, hey, there, these boundaries exist for our benefit, not for our detriment. But the bad, grace says, removes, removes all boundaries and all standards of behavior. It says anything goes. Good grace motivates the child of God to cling close to their Father, our Heavenly Father. Good grace says, hey, stay close to Jesus. Bad grace encourages children of God to live as close to the edge of disobedience as possible. You know Christians like that who just, who just live just, just on the edge, just, just there on the cliff. Not, they don't quite go off of it, but they're just right there. No, grace encourages us, empowers us to live a godly life, to live close to Jesus. An apostate, a creeper will stoop to or condone anything. So as these standards are dropped and as these, the do's and the don'ts and absolute truth is dropped, then, then this creeper, these false apostles, these antichrists, these false prophets will condone anything, even sodomy. You say, preacher, how can a Christian, how, how can a Christian vote for a politician who believes in homosexuality, who believes it's, believes it's right? How can a Christian preacher, how can a Christian, I'm talking about a child of God who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, how can a Christian vote for a politician who believes that you can murder little babies in the womb? Preacher, I don't understand that. I get that question often. This is the answer. Postmodernism that has crept into the churches. These creepers who have crept in and these, these false prophets, these teachers across 
the nation and across the world who are in pulpits teaching and preaching, and not just pulpits teaching and preaching, but I'm talking about in, in the small groups and, and the Sunday school classes, and it just permeates uh, the, the church as, as a whole, and just no absolute truth. Drop the standard. Well, why wouldn't you then? Take hold of homosexuality or any of those type of things. Christianity. God's grace is given to empower us to live godly lives. Obedience to God leads to blessings. Again, obedience to God does not bring about His favor. His favor is given to us freely. It's not earned. I don't check off all the boxes to earn God's favor, but I do check the boxes and I do live for him because I want to live for him because I love him because he gave his life for me and I have a desire to please him. If you love me, he says, you'll keep my commandments. I do so because I want to, not because I have to. It's important that we understand that God's favor is not earned, but his blessings are. Listen, my children... Growing, when they were growing up, knew that if there was something not right, they weren't doing right, they weren't going to receive a lot of blessings from dad and mom. I still love them, still loved them, and, but there was, yeah. Our Heavenly Father's the same way. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God's grace. God always has our best interests in mind. Boundaries are not there for our detriment, they're there for our blessing. God didn't lay down laws to the children of Israel to, to keep them from having fun. <laughs> no, he laid down laws to help them, to give them dietary laws and all these laws to help them in their society, to order their society, to make them distinct from the nations around them. And then lastly, not only do we have creepers who twist the truth, but they also deny the Lord Jesus. The most important question you can ask somebody is, what do you think of Christ? Christianity stands or falls with the person of Jesus Christ. What do you think of Jesus? And these creepers come in and they deny the authority of God. Look there again, verse 4, it says, uh, And turning from the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Denying the only Lord God. They're denying God. They deny His authority. Where's His authority found? In His book. We live in a society today who is denying the authority of the Word of God. This contains absolute truth. This is absolute truth. Aren't you thankful for that? I don't have to guess what is truth. I have norms in the Bible that I, that I know, that I know, that I know that this is what... Thou shalt not steal. It's in the book. It's an absolute truth. I, I can follow it. And knowing that as I follow it, God will bless me for it. God has my best interest in mind. And then, not only denying the authority of God, but also the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ denying his deity. Look back with me in 2 John. That should be just across the page. 2 John chapter, not chapter, but verse 9. 2 John verse 9 says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine, the teachings of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that abideth uh, him God's speed, him that beateth God, him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. 
It says, listen, it says, if somebody comes and knocks on your door and you ask them the question, what do you think of Christ? And they deny the deity of Jesus, you're not to let them in your home. You're not to even bid them God speak. You're not to give them a cup of cool water. You're not to give them bread. You're not to give them anything. You're not to, you're not to give them a, a thank you. No, you're not to let them in your house. Romans chapter 16 says you are to mark them. Somebody who denies that Jesus Christ was a God in the flesh should be marked. When a Mormon knocks on your door, a Mormon does not believe in the deity of Christ. When a Jehovah Witness knocks on your door, a Jehovah Witness does not believe in the deity of Christ. We're to mark them. There are some good people in those groups, but their belief is absolute against the Bible and against the Lord. They deny the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the God in the flesh is um, essential to salvation. If he didn't come in the flesh, we, we're not saved. Listen, it's God in the flesh. Great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was skin on. Human nature and divine nature, one personality, one person, two natures, human and divine. Jesus didn't lay aside his deity when he came to the earth. He was, he was in a body, yes, but he was still God. He still knew their thoughts. He said, where two or more are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. You say, how could he say that when he was in a body? You say, preacher, when he said that, he was, he was teaching, but he was there. When he said, I'm, I'm in the midst of them, how could he? No, because even though he was in a body, he could still be everywhere. Because he couldn't stop being God. You say, preacher, I can't understand that. Neither can I all the way. None of us can completely understand it. Our little finite, little peanut brains can't wrap our hand around what that is infinite Amen. and sovereign and above all. But we can certainly understand and believe and just accept the truth of the Word of God. God became flesh. The creator of the universe, the, the God who made the sun, moon, and the stars, humbled himself, it says. He became poor who was rich. The God of the universe became flesh, became one of us. Lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day. We must stand for the deity of Christ. We must stand for the authority of the word of God. We must stand for the grace of God in these last days. Why? Why? Because a great price was paid for our, the grace of God. A great price was paid. Jesus Christ gave his life for us. May we never, may we never just, may we, we never take light the grace of God. That's what we do when we sin. We don't take that what truly Christ did for us and the pain and the anguish and the sacrifice he made and really take it to heart but instead we we sin against him aren't you thankful for a God who loves you that much I am undeserving secondly God's favor is not earned but his blessings are I believe that the more I study the Bible the more I see it now, I'm thankful from time to time. Uh, he, he shows grace anyway. 
but do not take advantage of that. God's grace is not earned. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.